0: John really is one of the Gospels in which Jesus does a lot of what we, some have called interviews or just kind of talking with people about things more than any other Gospel. We'll be there for a while, but we're going to look at some other Gospel accounts of this matter of Jesus having a conversation. Have you ever noticed that when people talk about this or Jesus, sometimes they say, so, You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus about this. Anybody? Got a, got a question you're holding on to? Yeah. Got a question you're waiting for? Yeah. I'm going to ask Him this. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we all probably have conversations we want to have with him, and uh, that, that's great. Uh, but there are some conversations in the gospel that it uh, seems to me that, that really illuminate or give us some insight into him and his understanding and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I want to talk about today, and if you want to turn to John chapter 4, I think that's on your outline. Uh, John chapter 4, we're looking at something, and I've titled this a particular conversation the nature of faith. The nature of faith. Now, you might say, well, there's a lot of passages in the Gospels that deal with the issue of faith, and I would agree with you. Uh, but this one seems uh, to be uniquely interesting, uh, in my judgment, as it relates uh, to the nature of faith. Not just what is faith, and give me a definition, but really what is the nature uh, of faith. Uh, I was thinking about this this week, the nature of something. Um I, uh, I I got really sick Tuesday. Um, I started uh, trying to figure out what had happened. I was in bed for a couple of days and really, really sick. Uh, I'm cheap, so I called Ken Smith for some free medical advice. He answered the phone even. And uh, what was interesting is I had been on a fried food eating diet for a few days, <laughs> which I don't normally do. Uh, I had devoured some Jimmy's onion rings, which, uh, you know, hey, hey, hey uh, no more. <laughs> uh, the next day, had a bunch of uh, uh, hash browns at Johnny's, just fried up really good and greasy, and then topped that off with a whole order of fried mushrooms at Hideaway. <laughs> hey, hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know what happened, okay? <laughs> and and yeah, and I'm not going in detail. <laughs> uh what was interesting is I was trying to find out. You know, I'm needle phobic, so I don't like to go to doctors, uh, and and so I'm trying to figure out what is this, what what's what's hitting me, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I don't think it could be food poisoning because the other three people that ate weren't sick. That didn't seem fair. And so I'm I'm going to him and say, hey, this is one of the symptoms. And so Ken is talking to me, and we're we're working through some of these, and he's saying, you know, fever, yes, back, yes. I won't get too indelicate here. Uh, Nausea, all those kind of things. And finally, after going through the symptoms of that, we determined over the phone, which is okay with me. I'm still not going to the doctor yet. Uh, We determined over the phone that I had a gallbladder attack. It wasn't fun at all. And uh, I, I thought because what we had to do to find the nature of this problem was to start going through some of the symptoms, some of the issues, some of the things that it was... To try to come to under what what is this? I I think faith is a similar process. Understanding some of the features of the nature of faith. We sometimes say, well, just it's just believing. That's true. That's a definition. But I want to look at the nature of it. After going through, if you will, some type of a symptom discussion. What are some of the symptoms here we see about faith to try to understand it? So in John 4, if you're there. Will uh, we'll, by the by the way uh, the 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 word fried mushrooms makes me nauseous now. I hate losing a food group like that you know. Really I mean it's it's so discouraging, you know, and I'm just sitting there eating them like they were just you know going out of style. But uh, that will be done. I'm now on toast and uh, didn't even have a donut this morning. So I'm very relaxed. Uh, in John chapter 4, now I've been doing a goofing around, John chapter 4, verse 46. John chapter 4, verse 46. Therefore, He, Jesus, came again into Cana of Galilee, where He had turned the water to wine. And there was a royal official, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when He had heard that Jesus had come out of, Gal- of Judea into Galilee, He went to him. And was imploring him, come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now let me, let me orient you here just a little bit. Uh, this, I'll come back. This is a map uh, of uh, the area of Judea and Galilee. And you'll notice here the, the little red dot is on Canaan. And that's where uh, uh, this uh, nobleman's son, or, or this is where they are. And the nobleman's son is over here at Capernaum. And that's about 22 miles uh, by walking. Uh, Becky and I were there in Capernaum. It's a beautiful seaside town. Uh, back in here this is, if you will uh, some uh, mountainous kind of area. So when, when he says come down to Capernaum, that, he, he literally means that. Come on down. It isn't like the price is right. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually come down. Would you come down uh, to, to uh, Capernaum, which has, was uh, this a particular site. We'll, we'll look at that here in a moment. I've got to back up. I just want to get you oriented. We'll see it again. He was implored to come down. And Jesus said to him, this is, this is curious. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you... Uh, and I'm going to translate this. I'm going to show you later about this. It, I think this, uh, the translation should be this. Unless you see signs and wonders, you never will believe. The Greek construction there is strongly understood as never. Uh, New American Standard says simply will not believe but I'm going to demonstrate to you later why that probably should be never, that you will never believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, or really Lord is the the Greek term there, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour which he had begun to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus had said, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So I want to look at this, because the word believe shows up a couple of times in here. You'll notice that uh, in a, a verse, uh, well, I lost my place here. Uh, he believed in verse 53, and he believed in verse 50. We're going to look at that. So I want to look at the nature of faith here under these topics. The nature of faith is that it is almost it almost always begins in a crisis. The nature of faith. The nature of faith is that it almost always, always begins in a crisis. Now, as I said to you, uh, looking here... Uh, This man, the scriptures tell us, is a noble or a royal official. Some translations say a nobleman. Uh, This is a person or this term means a person who serves the king. So this is a guy pretty high up in the food chain. He is one of Herod's, if you will, Herod the Tetrarch there in uh, Judea. He is one of Herod's uh, uh, provincial governors or one of Herod's uh, people that ruled in that particular area it's almost certain that this guy was high in the economic scale, which which raises some interesting thoughts here. Uh, He had lots of resources and likely could go see any doctor that he wanted to. Uh, This nobleman or this governor of this area. Uh, It's likely that uh, as being an official here of Herod Antipas, uh, that he was rich, powerful, influential. His word was the law. Uh, as long as Herod backed him up, it was little concern what he said. Uh, it was a matter of he having that kind of authority and influence and power. Isn't it interesting that, uh, if if you will, and I, I just give you a little background here, uh, that it's very likely, you know, I can't say for certain, but knowing who he is, that this guy got his son to the best medical work and the best medical practice known to into Israel in that area. And I did some research on this, by the way. That, you know, we tend to think that medicine uh, has just kind of, in the last few years, come to life. But there's some pretty good evidence. Boy, there's some. Pre- I better eat a donut. <laughs> My static electricity is too high today. Um, Uh, that medical practices in Jesus' day were fairly advanced. I mean, you know, they didn't have MRIs, you know, but it was fairly advanced. Uh, We know that by doing excavations on tombs where people had died and they showed the utensils the doctors used. I don't know if that's irony or if that's just trying to give us information. This guy died because this doctor used this on him. Uh, But it's a fairly advanced uh, uh, use of medicine. This isn't just, you know, put a couple of chicken bones together and saying, I hope you get better. Uh, But medical practice. And because of his position, it's very likely that he had tried and done everything that he could. Remember the woman that had the hemorrhage for 12 years? It said she spent everything that she had on doctors. Yeah. Healthcare hadn't changed much, has it? (laughs) (laughs) Hadn't changed much. Ken Smith, as I talked about. You know, Ken is always talking to me about his medical practice. And I keep saying, Ken, I want a doctor who isn't practicing. I want one who knows what he's doing. Okay. Find me a doctor who doesn't have a practice, okay? Just like I don't want to go to an engineer who's practicing on figuring out how to build a bridge, Dave. You know, just, you know, let's get somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, But this guy had come, it seems to me, to some crisis point. In addition to that, this would not be good for his career. This would not be good for this nobleman's career. He is a representative of the government of Israel through Herod. And for him to get associated with Jesus is not good for his career path. This guy is being looked at by the Pharisees, by the officials all the time. And so I just want to suggest to you that what has driven this dad to Jesus, what has driven this dad to faith is a crisis. What has driven him to Jesus is a crisis. I I think that's the way we are. I don't think any of us have a default setting that we just trust God naturally. Anybody? Anybody do that? I, I don't. I mean, I, that's not my default setting. I, I know I've had times, and I've said this to you, and maybe you've had people say, well, you know, uh, we've done all we can now. All we can do is pray. And I go, oh, no. Has it come to that? Really? Is that, it? is that how bad it is now? We've talked to all the doctors. We've done everything. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, our default setting isn't to trust our default setting is to depend on not to depend on God. It usually takes some kind of crisis to blow us out of self-sufficiency, to blow us out of our own ability to the extent that we have to say, "I can't handle this." Right? I mean, I, I, I'm not. I don't want to get. I don't like getting sick. You know, Becky really doesn't like it. Becky, you know, <laughs> poor thing. She's pushed stuff under the door and leaves. You know. I'm, 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 I'm helpless. I'm serious. I'm helpless. I don't like being sick and I don't think anybody else does. And I'm not saying it's a wonderful thing, but I will tell you this. I think that sickness is sometimes the way that God rattles us and shakes us to help us understand you are not in control. I had no idea I had a gallbladder to act like that. I thought that was old people, you know. Stop that. That's not even nice. You know, I mean, in a matter of a few moments, all of a sudden things have changed like that, right? Listen, you and I, if you're like me, and I hope you're not too much like me, but somewhat, that we are living our lives hoping that we don't have to depend on God. Hoping. I I, I don't know that there's a real tension here for me. I'm not saying don't go to work and don't save money and don't take care of your health and go to doctors when you have to. Uh, But what I am saying is this, is that it typically requires a crisis for most of us to realize we've got to put our faith in another. John Wesley said it like this. He says, until we are cut off from any hope in ourselves, we cannot hope in Him who gives life. Until we're cut off from all hope in ourselves... Can we then only begin to trust in God? The Greek word here, when he asks him, notice what he says right here. He comes to Jesus and he implores him to come down and heal his son. The word there means to beg. He begs him. He's saying, please, with urgency, born of a crisis. So this idea that faith is just something that kind of comes to us naturally, or faith is just something that kind of comes to us when we go to church, I think is a little bit wide of the mark. I think most of us would have the testimony that our faith and our confidence in God was pulled out of us, if you will, through our throat often whenever we faced a crisis that we finally had to admit, I can't do this. Anybody with me? Yeah. Is, is, that, is that what, you know, it just, it just pulls it out of your throat. We think it happens in church. And we think it happens after we're singing 14 verses, a kumbaya, you know, or those kind of things. And it may happen, you know, for that. But faith is born of crisis. It's when it finally decentralizes us to say, I cannot fix this. I cannot make this right. It must require another. And so I look at this guy and I think, you know, he's an example of the nature of faith. So if you're in a crisis, you know, and some of us are at different times, I think we sometimes think, well, what have I done wrong? What, 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 what is God? Is He mad at me? It may, in fact, be an opportunity for you and I to learn how to depend on another person in a way like we never have before. It, it, it may be that opportunity. I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that uh, I'm pro- Becky may make me go to the doctor. You know, she gets me by the, come on, and uh, I'll go. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't like being sick, but if I am and i got some problems here, it will be one of those opportunities for me to say, God, I've got to trust you in ways I've never trusted you before. You know, I've been a healthy person. Uh, you know, I, it's it's been wonderful so far. So who knows? I told you when it hits sixty, bam, it's all downhill. It is. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not going. I'm not even saying what I'm going to think. Or uh, say, think, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Here we go. But faith is hardly ever born in comfort. Faith is hardly ever born in relaxation. Faith is hardly ever born in ease. Because we are genetically, it seems, self-centered that we can do this. And it requires something of a crisis to break us out, that outer shell, for God to say, you need more than you got. You need me. I'm always uh, reminded, remember we talk about this at different times, the first step in AA, the very first step, is I come to realize that I have a problem what? I'm on the right step, right? (laughs) Yeah. Come to find that I have a problem that I cannot what? Can't handle it. The first step in transformation, the first step in a life being transformed is to come to the step that says, I have a problem that I cannot handle. You, you know what your problem is? I mean, not Ben, you. Well, I'll talk to Doug. Doug, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what your problem, you know, your problem and my problem. You, say it in the third person, I'll come back to you. Your problem, and I can't say it that way. Your problem is, is this you. You're your problem. And you and I, and I'm my problem. And, and I'm not capable of having enough resources and references for my own life to live it. I read Dallas Willard just this other, the other day. He's written a book, uh, several, but um, he made this statement. He said, until the church adopts a spiritual formation process that is similar to AA, the church will cease to transform people's lives. That's Dallas Willard, chair of the philosophy department at USC. Until the church adopts a spiritual formation process that is similar to AA, which starts with step number one that says, I got a problem I can't handle. You see, faith gets born there. Faith gets born under those circumstances when I finally admit, and that's hard for us to do, isn't it? We don't like to admit we're not omnicompetent. We don't like to admit that we can't do it all. We've grown up in America, and we think we can do it if we want to. But the fact of the matter is that faith is born in crisis, faith is born when we face it. Okay, I got to hurry. Number two, here we go. Oh, that's the map. Number two, the nature of faith must deal with apparent denial. This is fascinating to me. The nature of faith must at times deal with apparent denial. Now, look at verses forty-eight and fifty. So, after the centur or this nobleman had said, "Come down," Jesus said, "Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply." will not believe. Now the royal official said to him, Sir, come down. And see, that's the second time he said that. Come down. Come to where we are. Come to, come to Capernaum where I am. Before my child dies. And then Jesus said, Go, your son lives. Now, now notice here, this is harsh it sounds like from Jesus. But sometimes faith has to deal with what appears to be an apparent denial. I'm going to say it this way. An apparent denial to deal with the real issue. It, it, sometimes God says no or wait because the issue that we've brought to Him isn't the real issue. It's something else. L- let's look at this. Jesus literally says, unless you people, and it's plural, He's talking to a group, not just this, apparently He's talking to everybody around this, uh, this uh, nobleman together and, and saying, you know, unless you all see signs and wonders. You will never believe. It's interesting because Jesus, or the way it's recorded, it's the double negative in Greek. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you the Greek is ou me. It means you will never believe. Not just that you have a hard time believing. You won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. Now the question is, what is he asking them to believe? They already know he can heal people, right? They've already seen this. What is Jesus stalling about? He, they know, they believe that He can heal. That's why He's here. He's already healed people and done miracles. The, the, the issue to me seems to be something deeper than this. That there's a belief here, a, a confidence here in Jesus that He's calling for. It's a very serious response to say, you're never going to believe until you keep seeing signs and wonders. And the problem is, it seems to me, that Jesus would never submit... To a circus of just signs. Think about this. Jesus never performed a sign or a wonder for someone who demanded it in order to believe. Never. Remember, he's on the cross and they said, you, get down and we'll believe you. Not doing that. Show us a sign and we'll believe you, the, the Pharisees said. Show us a sign and we'll believe you from God. Jesus would never submit to doing signs, if you will, as parlor tricks to just try to kind of convince people and show people stuff. Jesus did signs and wonders to bring people to a confidence and faith in who he is. I got, I got to say this to you this. It's possible that Jesus was addressing the very dangerous tendency for us and these people in that day. That they are always requiring a sign or a wonder before they're going to believe. If you really, I was you, you know, we say that, Lord, if you really love me, what? You'll do this. Lord, if you're really with me, you'll... you ever notice he doesn't usually do that? <laughs> you ever notice he doesn't work those kind of parlor tricks? he said, say, now, Lord, if you really love me, you'll do this. I've done that before. You know, I remember I prayed for a Ferrari one night. <laughs> hey, I didn't know anything about the Bible except ask and you shall receive. And I was all about it. You know, we, we've done that. We say, if you know, if you really love me, do this sign. I've done that before. I mean, it's easy to fall into. It's Jesus saying, you're, you're not going to really believe who I am unless you see all these things happening, all these signs and wonders. Jesus wasn't for that. He's thinking, I, I'm not here to do works and wonders to impress you. I'll tell you the other thing I think is probably present here. In addition to that, That Jesus knows, and we do too, that if our faith, our belief is based on signs and wonders, He has to keep doing them. He has to keep doing them. It's not enough for me to say, you know, uh, Jesus did this wonderful thing or made this wonderful thing happen in my life and I trusted Him and believed Him. It's later, well, do it again. (laughs) Do it again. Like a little kid, you know, when you throw them up in the air and you throw them up in the air and after four times you're tired and they're laughing, they say, what? Do it again. Do it again. Same with God. You know. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. He says, "Unless you see those, you won't believe. You never believe that." That that is so hard to get a hold of. To think, we already believe enough to come to you to ask you for healing. We already believe enough to ask you to intervene in our lives, but we don't believe enough to believe who you are—that you're the Lord. Jesus Christ. He said, you'll never believe. It isn't that you just won't or you can't. It's that you never will believe. I think there's something else here about this apparent contradiction. I'm just going to read. Look here, it says in verse 47, come down. Verse 49, come down. I wonder in this apparent contradiction... Because Jesus is going to heal this kid, and we're going to see this man. But what But what is Jesus driving at is, one, is that signs and wonders will not necessarily cause you to believe in me. You'll, you'll just have to keep having them. You won't believe until you keep seeing them, keep seeing them, keep seeing them. The other one is, is this man's faith such that he believes that Jesus has to come there to heal him? Think about this a second. He keeps saying, come down, come down. Jesus does not do what the official asks. He says, you need to come to my place. And it's 22 miles I showed you in there. That's a pretty good walk. We realize that it's the next day he gets back home. He says, come down. And, and, and Jesus doesn't come down. Does this guy have in his mind, do we, that Jesus has got to be there before anything can happen? Does, does he think... That, as in Judaism at the time, that great rabbis, healers, and they had some of them, had to be present for something to happen. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and, and, and I was considering this in my own language, I thought, or in my own experience. Do, do we sometimes think that Jesus has to come down to us through some great teacher, or leader, or preacher? There are people that travel all over the country following preachers and teachers and leaders, thinking that if they can just get there, what? Something will be great. If I can get to this revival, or I can get to this preacher, or I can get to this teacher, or I can get to this place, all of the time when they're missing the point to say, He is present here. I mean, I love it when we come to church and we experience God's presence and like that. It's wonderful. But is this... The only place Jesus ever shows up is He as accessible to you at your office as He is here. Is He as accessible as your faith, as your your understanding of faith? Is He as accessible to you when you're driving your car, coaching somebody up for the way they're driving? <laughs> Done that a few times. See, this guy thinks that Jesus has to come there. Come, come on, come on, come down, come down, come down, come down. Jesus doesn't respond to it. He said, I can do that right here. I can do that right here. And I've wondered in my own life, and I've known other people that think that there's somebody else that they got to get to in order to connect with God. Or there's some meeting they've got to attend in order to experience the presence of God. I don't know if there's anybody here. I'm not trying to make fun of people, but I say it, it's almost like there's a, there's a, there's a spiritual groupies that have to find their way to some great teacher, some great preacher, some great singer, or something. And we say, we got to go where they are, got to get there. Jesus doesn't do it because there's something else Jesus is trying to get at. You have to believe in me. It's not the healing, it's not the sign, it's not me going where you tell me to go, to come down. I can do this for you. He simply states his case, the nobleman does, and Jesus says, go, your son is well. You know, I have a good friend named Roger Reynolds that this reminds me of, this apparent contradiction, because apparently Jesus was up to something else other than just healing his son. We'll see it in a minute. Roger was a good friend of mine. He was an accountant at uh, Lexington when I was in seminary at a a Fifth Third Bank. I thought, what a dumb name. Fifth Third third? Is this a fraction bank? Is this what y'all, we're going to loan you seven eighths of a hundred dollars. What a stupid, I hope nobody works there (laughs) or has all your investments in it. But Roger and I became good friends. In fact, I'm not kidding you. I I was uh, going to this church and I didn't know anybody. And uh, I was in seminary, and I just left the pastor very lonely. I said to Becky, you see that guy over there? I'm going to make him my friend. I did. I did. I, I made Roger my friend. He became my friend. Roger had some stomach trouble. I got it from him. Roger had some stomach problems. And we used to pray about it all the time. And we were confused at the apparent contradiction at why God would, we, we, you know, we kept telling God, think of all the good reasons. Roger can serve you more effectively. He won't be so grumpy at home. You know, we like that. Uh, you know, all of these reasons we kept, you know, this would be a great reason for you to heal him. He didn't. I graduated from seminary, uh, moved away, was a pastor, and after several years, Roger called me one day on the phone. And he said, Cliff, I got some great news to tell you. And I said, what is that, Roger? He said, God healed my stomach. And I said, that's awesome. Tell me how it happened. He said, you know, over the years you and I have prayed and we've asked people to pray. We've fasted. We've asked God to do all this, to heal. You know, we're telling Him, you come down. This is what we want, just like the Father. And Roger said, Cliff, it occurred to me one day as I was praying that all the years I'd been praying about the healing of my stomach, that that was the symptom of my distrust and unwillingness to believe and trust Jesus for the daily issues of my life. He said, on that day, when I realized with such clarity that the issue wasn't my stomach, the issue was my unwillingness to trust and depend on Jesus, he said, when I surrendered at that moment to Jesus, my stomach has not hurt me one time since. See, it appeared that God was not answering his prayer, didn't it? He's not healing his stomach. Well, that's because there was something else that need to be dealt with. And now Roger had, in his own testimony, would say that all those years I could have lived pain-free, except I was praying about something that wasn't the real issue here. See, this guy kept saying, come down, come down. That's not the issue. I can do this wherever I am. I'm, I'm well able to do this. But you need to understand, i got to do something else as well. So the nature of that is that sometimes faith appears to be a contradiction. It, you know, So let me ask you to consider this in your own life. What about this? What if this week you and I quit telling Jesus how to act in our behalf and begin asking Him to help us ask how He would like to act in our behalf? You know, that would be a change, wouldn't it? that faith says what appears to be an apparent contradiction might more likely be that I've been too busy telling God how to act and telling Him what to do instead of saying, God, how would you like to act in my life? I was telling a friend just the other day, sometimes people ask me to pray for them. I will. But my wife, when she prays, people get well. So I'm just telling you, okay? I'll do it because it's my job. She does it because she can pray. And... uh, you know, she's lived with me for a while, but had to. Uh, you, you know, this, this whole uh, uh, notion about praying for people. When I was 25 or 30 or 35, or, and now I'm getting depressed, 40, 45. When people would ask me to pray for them, I immediately launched into my prayer. Because I knew what to say. You know, I've learned over the last several years that if people ask me to pray for them, I mean, I, mean, I we know what the you know they got a gallbladder problem or or you know some you know we know what the problem is. They got an ingrown toenail. I don't know. You know, it could be painful. Those, those be. My my reaction now is this. I don't I don't know what to ask Lord. So I'm just going to ask you right now. That as we pray. That you would guide, give us insight, help us understand what we need to pray about. I don't know. I'm asking you to lead and to guide us. I mean, I used to have a pretty standard prayer. Man, I banged it out. If you were dying of cancer and it took me four minutes to do it, and we said, Hallelujah, praise God. Now, when, I, when I'm when i praying, it, we may pray 10 or 15 minutes. People say, Oh, I'm not asking you to pray. Okay. We may, pray, we may pray 10, 15, 30. I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. Because faith, often what I think I know, is not what I know at all. The, the, the willingness to say to God, what, what do you want us to say? What are you What are you doing here? What's going on here? How can we know what you might have in this particular situation? So again, what if you just said, I'm going to... Ask Jesus, how would He like to act in my behalf? Lord, what would You like to do in my life? I keep, you know, come down, come down, come down. And Jesus says, no, go. Now, look, look at this third thing real quick. I'm trying to learn. I had to finish last week. I'm trying to learn to finish every Sunday now. We're going to do this, okay? The nature of faith is it must eventually act on Jesus' word. Look what it says here. Verse 50, I'm going to start at 50, the half point, that's called 50B. The man believed the word Jesus spoke and started off. This is fascinating. As a teacher of young people and uh, kids who come to our school, there has been somehow in our culture a huge divorce between faith and action. People think they can believe without acting. People believe that, that faith just means having some opinions about things and rattling around your head and, and having confidence in it, and, and I believe that. But the Scripture always teaches that faith always acts. Look here. He leaves. He starts off. Jesus didn't do what He said He wanted to do. You know, he, he, Jesus didn't comply. Jesus didn't obey Him. Jesus didn't do what He said. But it finally came to the point that He had to say, I've got a choice. I've got a Faith has to finally act and obey, if you will. The Father doesn't leave at Jesus' instruction, or He does leave at the Father's instructions, even when Jesus had not done what He said. I want to ask you this. Is this part of the nature of faith that you know about? That it is to not only believe, but to act. To do something about it. I can tell you this, in 23 years of teaching... 23 years of teaching at a christian university of many young people who claim to be followers of jesus the number one thing they identify that they've learned new hopefully one one thing they've learned is this and they write it in their papers and they tell me i could show you the data on this over the years is that faith means you're gonna obey jesus isn't that crazy That's the one thing for 23 years. I didn't know this, Cliff, and I'm thinking, where have you been? What rock are you living under? You know? Faith always has this notion of action, of doing something, of responding to what Jesus said. You know, it's, it's kind of simplistic, but my goodness. If you told me to meet you in the foyer at 12 to go to lunch... And I believed you. What do you think I would? Huh? Okay, I'm showing up. Okay, here, here, and there. Okay, yeah, I'd show up, wouldn't I? I mean, this isn't rocket science. This isn't complicated. We've complicated it by making it just an idea or concepts or a list of beliefs or things. Faith is always simply taking what you believe and acting on it believing that the person who said it is trustworthy. I mean, this is so simple, and yet as I talk to students and work with them over the years, it's fascinating to me they don't understand that. I, I don't know if maybe the churches are, are not doing that, whatever. But but this idea of doing something about it. It, it reminds me, I'll just throw a real quick story here. Uh, I, I remember when Becky and I were dating uh, years ago, a uh, long time ago, Uh, we were at a little school in Houston and we went to chapel together, lunch together, worked at the church together and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we were just constantly, I said a year and we were dating a year and five months, which would be equal to about three years under any of the circumstances. I mean, we were just together all the time. And I remember Becky asked me, do you love me, Cliff? And I said, absolutely. I love you. No question. She said, where's the ring? (laughs) And I said, Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, You know, marriage is a serious endeavor, first. This went on for a while, for a few weeks. We'd been dating a year and five months at this school. And I got what has been now known in our family called the ultimatum. It goes a little bit like this. You say you love me. You say you want to marry me. If we don't get engaged in the next month, this rodeo is over. Found out that in her family, two other sisters did that. This is kind of an Alexander family tradition. (laughs) You, you, You know what she was saying? You say one thing, you're acting a different way. Now, let's bring these together or we're done. And I said, okay, I'm going to buy a ring. Right now. Well, not right then. But, but the idea of that Becky wanted some action with what belief or what was being stated. The same thing with us. It's not really that difficult. It's this. What if this week you consciously did something or acted out in a way that demonstrated your faith in Jesus? What would that be? Is there something you could identify and say, you know, I do this during the week, or I do it every day, or what? I do this because it's an expression of me actually believing what I say I believe. To, the, 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 the data somehow suggests that there's a lot of difference in people between what they say they believe. with it. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to finish here. The, the fourth thing. The nature of faith is that it develops. This is, this is fascinating to me. Look here, in verse 52. Uh, So he inquired to them which hour he got better. They said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, his fever left him. So the father knew it was that hour which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his entire household. There it is again. What? See, here's what I want to suggest to you. The father believed again. Again. And I want to suggest to you, this is what Jesus is after. This idea. He didn't just believe that Jesus could, in fact, heal his son. He already believed that. He had never gone. He now believes and his whole household that this is the Messiah. Faith is not just a one-time event that seals the deal. Faith is a continual response to God. Faith is continuing. It has a beginning, no doubt. Faith has a beginning, but it continues. Notice what he said. He believed him and he and his entire household. That's that's amazing to me that this man is saying now, you know what? Not only did I believe he could do it, but when he did do it, now I believe in him as Messiah. I want to suggest to you that this is the notion of faith. It isn't a one-time event. You know, we went to a wedding yesterday and... and uh, uh, these, these kids got married. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, nobody does. But, you know, I, we just sit there and I'm smiling, you know. And, uh, you know, they're, they're getting married. And I'm thinking, you know, I've told you guys this before. When people come to me and talk to me about doing their wedding, I say, you know, part of the problem with many people, not everybody, part of the problem is is that people want to talk to me about a wedding. And I want to talk to them about, about a marriage. See, a wedding is an event. A marriage is a continual living and going through life together. And so I have a hard time sometimes. Not everybody. Some people I've married in this church, in this room, and they, they they knew all about that. But sometimes young people, they just want an event. Sometimes we just want faith to be an event, I believed. Where, nine years old, Falls Creek, that's great. But is it something... That continues. Here this man believes again. And by this time, it's not just him, but his whole house. It's not just him, but his whole house. Watch this. See about this this week. What if this week you took some time to evaluate how your faith in Jesus may have developed or grown? Is your faith more than a one-time event? Is it growing? Is it? De- are you learning who Jesus is? You can trust Him in this time. You, you know who He is. You, you understand Him more fully just evaluate that and I'm going to ask you just celebrate this with another friend this week. Just say, you know what? My faith is growing. My faith is like this man. It it believed that Jesus could heal him, but it's growing now to the point that I believe in my entire household. It's not an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's a growing, developing experience of life. So this week, the nature of faith. The nature of faith. What is it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You today for this uh, little conversation You had. It's uh, different. And I pray that in this week as we uh, move into it, that our lives might uh, connect, might uh, be guided by this and other understandings of faith throughout the Scripture. May our lives be lived Each day, with a growing and developing faith, we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We'll continue next week.